if any of you are thinking about building something, do it. The world needs more women builders. Female founders have the potential to build better solutions, period, full stop. Welcome to Products by Women. I'm your host, Naimisha Murthy. In this podcast series, we'll be featuring the women behind innovative, sustainable, ethical, and cutting-edge brands and products across industries from fashion to tech and everything else in between. We'll be talking to women leaders, change makers, and innovators around the world about how they build and scale their products and companies and what motivates them and keeps them going. Also, do check out our new website at productsbywomen.com a diverse global community for women in innovation and tech where you can connect with peers, get matched with mentors and find jobs beyond borders. In today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Karen Rios, who's the co-founder and CEO at the Lifesaver app, the first universal free banking platform for managing, discovering and opening accounts across banks and credit unions. So Karen, let's start from the beginning. Talk to me about where you grew up. What inspired and influenced you to be where you are today? So I grew up in South Florida. I grew up in Miami. My parents immigrated to the States in 1980 after a Sandinista revolution in Nicaragua. I'm the youngest of four, and I would say the black sheep in a family of just extraordinarily overachieving siblings. For me, it was sort of not following into the stereotypical immigrant kid, doctor, lawyer, engineer. I had, you know, a brother who was like, local kid, gets accepted into the, all the Ivies. A sister, the one who's closest in age to me, but we were about a decade apart, who finished a PhD in three years. So I actually took a very non-traditional route and dropped out of college the first time around. It was a, supposed to be a semester abroad at the Sorbonne. It was just supposed to be a couple of months, and it ended up being about three and a half years of my life. So my professional experience is actually initially as a writer. It was while living in Paris, I think I happened to be in Berlin, and I happened to catch this guy who was running for president. He was Barack Obama. So after uh, spending a couple of years in the EU, hopping borders every 90 days, I'd run out of a student visa ages ago. I came back to Miami, and I worked as a um, field officer for the Barack Obama campaign in Little Havana, which is an extremely Republican, Cuban-American enclave in Miami. After I finished that up, I decided to finish up my undergrad and moved up to New York City and actually started my undergrad career again in uh, NYU, but ultimately transferred to Columbia, where I thought, you know, I finally discovered my passion. I was going to be a historian. I wanted to go into public policy and explore immigration. And my summer job, while I was gearing up to take the GRE, I ended up creating a career in finance. So it was supposed to be a summer job at an ed tech company that was founded and funded by two portfolio managers. This is 2012. And their compliance officer quit with about 90 days before Dodd-Frank was about to go into effect or hedge funds and other asset managers. And I was ultimately tapped to see if I, you know, it was like, hey, kid, do you want to give this a shot? And I did. And I accidentally got a career in finance. And I ultimately went from like compliance assistant to chief compliance officer in about the space of 18 months and was ultimately the youngest C-level officer in the firm and the first Latina as well. So Karen, when did you start working on Lifesaver? How did you come up with the idea and what inspired you? I think what inspired it was I was just trying to solve my own problem as a consumer. Even though I knew a lot about equities and sort of like more sophisticated parts of finance, figuring out like what to actually do with my money in a efficient, timely manner wasn't easy. 
And I'm also a millennial. So for me, it was a bit of a head scratcher in 2016 or 17, actually. You know, the guy who's got my 401k, I'm trying to roll it over. And he's literally telling me that I need a fax machine because a paper check is going to be mailed to me. And I was incredulous. I was like, do you want me to go to a museum? Like, where do I find a fax today? The other part of it, just generationally, I could find basically anything that I need in my life through my phone, whether that's a meal, a doctor recommendation or a date. But I couldn't figure out what to do with my cash. And that struck me as fundamentally wrong and and just inconvenient. Okay, so you had this idea. How did you go about validating and testing a need for this market? Well, the MVP, again, when I was just trying to solve my own problem, was a little macro that I built myself in Excel. You know, at this point, I'm sort of like a former hedge funder with way too many Excel skills and not enough time to do stuff. So I ended up building this and I showed it to an old college friend. He said two things that fundamentally sort of changed the the direction of my life over the next couple of years. The first was, that's cute. I can turn it into an app, which really did perk up my ears. And the second was a really frank question. You know, he'd gone into academic publishing and I'd gone into finance and we'd known each other from our days at Columbia. And he asked me point blank, if you make so much more money than I do, why do you have the same problems that I have? That was something that I couldn't answer right away. And that was sort of the beginning of, well, why do we have the same problem? You know, I asked him, I was like, well, if you can turn this into an app, do you mind turning it into an app? I'd like to play around with it on my phone. And I went to a lot of my old college friends and I was like, hey, man, look at this little thing that somebody built for me. I was trying to figure out what to do with my money. And it was in showing off this little gadget that I learned a couple of things. Had some brilliant friends, future doctors, lawyers, engineers, and more frequently than you'd think I'd get questions like, so what is the difference between a saving account and a checking account? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, wow, you can build a building, but you don't, you know, these basics about your personal finance. And it was the realization that a lot of us had graduated into tax brackets where we could afford to make financial mistakes, but we had never really caught up on the financial literacy part of things. So Karen, talk to me a little bit about the struggles you may have had to streamline the onboarding process. Given that it's quite different for every bank, how did you go about defining the user and customer experience for Lifesaver? That's a wonderful question. We started with the user experience. Again, I had a lot of data from our very early MVP days around just the frustrations and the sense of feeling overwhelmed and lost and sort of just figuring out what you even need in your sort of financial path. It was really rooted in sort of the user experience where we started. A couple of things allowed us to have that luxury. One was banking systems are ancient technology. A lot of these things are written in like COBOL, Fortran, and they weren't really made for the web. So So it is, from a technical standpoint, a hell of an undertaking. This is before object-oriented programming. So a bit of a head scratcher in that regard. But I got quite lucky that my CTO is just sort of obsessive about certain things. So he was able to get on the phone with some of the architects of, of these systems and really kind of understand how it worked. So once we were sort of able to make a little bit of a sense of, of what the back end looked like, rooting it for us in the customer experience was the most important. Because we're able to see people's financial lives in a flat way, we could add a, a whole different sort of richness to the user experience that a normal banking system just can't. These systems. And how did you go about prioritizing the product build and features? Tons and tons and tons of user interviews. 
and it's figuring out where the pain point is. And what's really interesting about finance from a user experience perspective is it is incredibly different depending on where you are in your financial life. If you're a recent immigrant or you're a recent college graduate, your needs, what's available to you is drastically different. So for us, it was sort of always making sure that we can, at least on you know our, my product manager on, on a weekly basis, tries to book at least three user interviews. COVID for us was a lesson in how to be a better listener because there were so many changes in people's financial lives so rapidly. One of the first things we had to do was figure out how to communicate with our users in real time, how to collect that data in real time to better be able to help them. And that's something that we're still currently perfecting. And I, and I think it's something that we'll always be perfecting, quite frankly. So Karen, how did you meet your co-founder and start building a team? Oftentimes, it's hard to find partners who are equally passionate and share a common vision. You no, know, you're absolutely right. It, it really is one of the, I think, harder parts of it. Because it's so important foundationally for a company and its culture. I lucked out that I met my co-founder a decade ago at Columbia. I think we, we stayed friends because he's a first gen, I'm first gen, and we're both from the South. So there wasn't very many of us on the campus. And I think, you know, for me, the true buy-in was that moment where he was really curious. What happens to a lot of people, because it's so overwhelming just to figure out your personal finance, you start internalizing those problems that might be systemic, that might be product-related problems, and thinking that it's you. And for me, the moment that he asked me point blank, why are we still having the same problems despite the differences in income, I kind of knew that I had lucked out because this was somebody who was already sort of thinking about this, who had similar experiences in his family and professionally. And we got lucky with our head of product because we actually met her through the Barclays Techstars program. So she was the program associate who was helping the managing director and the program director run our cohort. And I think she was drawn to the mission of what we were trying to do. As an international student herself, she also needed some financial products and was very curious as to why it was incredibly difficult. So for us, mission has been an incredible filter to building the team. And it's also been where we root our sort of culture in, which is the realization of like, we do this because it helps actual people, because there is a tangible positive effect in the lives of regular people and communities across this country. Can you list some key milestones you hit along the way that kept you going? So I think the aha moment for me was we had just released this into beta and it was basically just an extension of family and friends. And I went to my old roommate's wedding and I happened to meet his brand new sister-in-law. And we're having a conversation, I think somewhere in that wedding week down in Cancun of all places, she would become our first user testimonial. She was telling me how, you know, she was a young journalist. She was like two years out of undergrad. She'd been working at this news station in Ohio and had been in the workforce for almost three years and hadn't had a savings account. And she was just sort of like, I don't even know if I want one. They make me feel very uncomfortable. Point of the story is that, you know, I was like, hey, we built this little thing. You should download it. About three months later, I get a text message from that roommate with a screenshot of an exchange that he had had with his sister-in-law. And she was saying how, thank you so much to your friends. Like, I just got a savings account. It's been two months. Like, I've earned this much in interest. Like, I'm thinking about taking out a credit builder loan with some bank they connected me to. And it was that moment reading that text exchange that I was like motivated to a place that I didn't even know I could be. 
I'd suspected that it could work. I'd seen it a little bit. I'd seen it in myself. I'd seen it in a few friends. But to actually see this 23-year-old woman gush over to her brother-in-law, how it made her feel, how empowered she was, because she now had a plate. She had a little emergency cushion was a bit life-changing. And it was a feeling that on my worst days, I try and remember and keep that in my pocket and just go back to that moment. And, and we've had more and more users give this to us. And every time we, we have that kind of user testimonial, we know we're on the right track. And I think for me, it was really that aha moment of this thing that I had in my brain that became an app, that became a thing, that became a tool for someone that actually had a positive impact in their life. Karen, you went through the Barclays Tech Accelerator program. What was the experience like and you recommend it to other entrepreneurs? Absolutely. I would recommend it. I would recommend it to anybody listening who's on the fence or has a side project or a passion project who's been like, hey, maybe I should apply to one of those. Do. Its impact is across your company. It's across you as a founder. The best way that I can say it is sort of it's kind of like college for an entrepreneur, <laughs> which is a woman in my 30s. I was like, when do we get these kinds of opportunities? It was incredibly impactful for our business development, our sales cycle, for how we think about our company, for the advisors that we have today it really came out of that program. And as I mentioned earlier, so did my head of product. We had this crazy experience with her for three months where we were running this highly, highly intense competitive program. And then when she joined us after the holidays, just to be able to out of the box, just completely run with product and have just so many great suggestions and instincts, it's, it's been invaluable. And as a follow up to the previous question, any tips on raising VC funding? You have to steal yourself. And I think that's more important for women and for women of color in particular. I'm sure other founders feel other ways. It's for me, the, the worst part of the job every day that I'm fundraising is a day that I'm not focused on my product and a day that I'm not focused on my product does have actual tangible negative effects on the lives of people is how I feel about it. But you have to have a network before you do it. And you have to, again, be prepared for a lot of rejections because it's kind of a market of one. Once you get one, yes, then the dominoes start to fall. But getting to that one is quite difficult. So Karen, I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you, at any point, did you feel like, let's drop this? And when you felt like this, how did you motivate yourself? I've definitely felt that. And there was a moment where we said, okay, we're not fundraising. You know, I think this is very true of, of female founders. Like we, we learned to do a lot with a little bit of money. So when COVID hit, we had actually just opened our seed round. We had been capital efficient enough to afford ourselves the luxury to put our heads down and to work. What I tell myself is two things. One, I am the right person to do this. And I know that any call, any meeting, it doesn't matter how much pattern recognition might be on the other side of the table. I am the expert in my space and I, and I fully own that. And I think the other thing that I go in there with is, look, we've demonstrated our ability to execute. We've hit a lot of milestones. All of our tech is built in-house, went from ideation to beta to public launch all by ourselves, have started becoming revenue positive. We know that our signals of product market fit are starting to hit. But more than that, it is in the realization that the banking customers in my pipeline, I know that they need my product. And, and those people who give us testimonials also tell me that. So I think for me, it's the unflinching need for our platform and particularly right now in sort of like a post-COVID reality where you're not going to be able to go to a bank branch the same way that you were before. And, and we're going to have to, you know, figure out different digital tools to get people to access their finances safely from their phones. What are some obstacles and challenges you faced along the way as a female entrepreneur? 
as I mentioned, my CTO and my co-founder is male. So we've tested our language. We baby tested that. And even though I'm the one with the background in finance, I will get some pushback on my numbers and I will get stuff like, well, I'm not sure about that. You know, can you defend that? And he has gotten things like, oh, wow, it looks like you're really onto something here. So those are sort of the funny things about misogyny, right? Same language, same everything, different packaging, different gender, different responses. I think the other thing that I've faced And maybe it's because for me, the impact of what we could potentially do is as valuable as the returns that we can also get as well. There tends to be, I think, at the mind of VCs that anything that is for the good of anyone (laughs) may not necessarily be venture backable. So having to couch positive impact with a business case has historically been difficult. But I think one of the heartbreaking things we've seen since COVID is the fact that our use case has been you know, happening at heartbreaking national scale where digital presences are, are absolutely crucial. And Karen, in your journey so far, what's the scariest thing you've done and how do you tackle tough situations? It might sound a little self-deprecating, but I think I sometimes build up my confidence to a point where I purposely make myself a little dumb to the stakes. The things that give me fears today, I think, are very different than the things that gave me fears previously, particularly in light of COVID and being here in the city. My biggest fear this year, hands down, was, you know, there, there was a moment in March where I was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop that somebody on my team would get sick. This surreal moment that we're living through kind of made me put my fears in check, if that makes sense. I used to be really afraid of doing things like we're doing right now. And I mean, she's sort of like talking about Lifesaver in, in, a, in a public setting. And I think a combination of different factors between pitching and fundraising and things like Techstars, you start losing your fear around that. I've found now because of what we're living through that I guess my fears are much more rooted in much more tangible things that I didn't necessarily think about. I think, you know, the fact that all of my team is like younger than 30, I necessarily didn't think about their health. And now I, I really do. Has the idea of entrepreneurship transformed you personally and professionally? If so, how? I definitely don't sit on any more fences as I guess I used to when I was working at a hedge fund about why there's like not that many women in tech or product. And and again, I'm, I'm like a woman in finance, so it's not like we have a huge population there either. But there is something about actually being in it that forces you to take a position. And, you know, something that in those few moments of free time when I'm not thinking about Lifesaver, one thing that my mind constantly comes back to it, and I think this is my next obsession, is I think we need to fundamentally rethink funding instruments and financial products at the VC stage if we really are serious about inclusion. Knowing what I know as a female founder and knowing what I know as a former financial services professional, I think it's a much easier lift to come up with a new financial product than it is to educate an entire generation of VCs. And I'd like to really think about what that future of that next funding instrument might be like. Karen, how do you usually unplug and balance life? Oh, that is a good question. So I have started to be quite militant around do not disturb settings on my phone. So between 9 p.m. and 6 a.m., it's a paperweight. It doesn't make any noises. It doesn't do anything. The other thing that I've found for me, especially when I couldn't really go outdoors, to be a nice balance uh, was gardening. So I actually have to sort of tap myself on the back quite, I think, a, a decent garden for a New York City windowsill. So I'm currently growing some peppers, some herbs, some tomatoes. I even have a small potato plant growing as well. And I find that to be one of the few moments where nothing goes through my mind. And so it's a very much needed like 30 or 40 minutes of playing in some dirt and watching something grow. So Karen, where do you see Lifesaver in the long term? What are your expansion plans looking like? 
So in the near term, I think you're going to see Lifesaver continue to expand. We've done a great job with partnerships, including one partnership that we're incredibly proud of with Propel Fresh EBT, allowing us to get more people who need access to benefits, those products and services. So I think in the short term, we'll be completely focused on making sure that this COVID recovery is inclusive uh, from a financial perspective as humanly possible. I think in the longer term future and what we're really solving for here at Lifesaver is we want to help the most impactful financial institutions in this country, those banks and credit unions that keep cash and provide capital in low to moderate income communities and communities of color. We want to give them the technology to continue to succeed. So I think what you'll be seeing from us and how we think about this problem is that we really want to make sure that these institutions have the future-proof technology to continue to serve those first-time homeowners, those women-owned businesses, and all of those really important actors in these local communities. And so right now, we're solving for what's top of mind, that digital presence, that those new accounts, that ability to onboard instantly. But we really, truly are creating a path and building for future-proof banking infrastructure, which I think is really one of the fundamental things that's making it incredibly hard for financial institutions in this moment to keep their customers safe, keep their employees safe. They're really fighting with both hands tied behind their back with almost 50-year-old legacy technology. And so the future for us is really building that new infrastructure. And lastly, Karen, what's your advice to aspiring entrepreneurs? To your community of amazing women in product, I would say if any of you are thinking about building something, do it. The world needs more women builders. Female founders have the potential to build better solutions, period, full stop. I think a lot of things that are obvious to women founders aren't necessarily obvious to men. And I think we just need more of them. So I would just say to anybody listening, I hear you. I know you feel that fear, but do it anyway. That's it for now. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Do write to us at info at productsbywomen.com. We'd love to hear what you think. Again, do check us out at productsbywomen.com to connect with peers, get matched with mentors, and find jobs beyond borders. See you in the next episode.